Welcome to Consider Yourself Hugged. I am your host, Tammy West, actually here with you for our final episode for just a couple of months. It was sort of a last minute decision, but you know what? I'm always encouraging you all to make good decisions, to make good choices, to, of course, be outward focused and take care of your family and friends, but also to take care of your health, mental health, physical health, emotional health. And this is a a very, very busy time in my life. I'm redoing the stress club. I'm doing an online stress club course. I'm preparing for a lot of speaking and things during mental health awareness month. I've just become the certified mental health first aid instructor, all of the things that are going on here in Nashville. And I'm, 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 I'm talking with some people about trying to do some training around that. And in May, well, I think I already told you in May, I am going to bring on my co-host, Michelle Kixmiller, who was my co-host before, and Gracie Lichtenstein. So my decision was to take April and May for us to really do a great job of bonding as a team, doing some recordings, and just really get ready without being rushed. So that's why that decision was made. Anyway, today I decided I wanted to do one follow-up session after Michelle and I did the one last week about the school shootings here at Covenant School in Nashville. So I think that you might know that Michelle and I both live in the Nashville area. And so the school shooting just affected us. You know, we both we both work in the world of mental health. We've both been school teachers before. So it was just, it was a new thing for us here in the Nashville area. So we did record how to talk with children, your children, other children during tragedy. But I didn't want to leave and then just transition into mental health awareness month for different things without at least addressing the question. Because it it kept coming to me, is there anything I can do to contribute to prevention of these mass shootings, school shootings in particular, other than being enraged, being sad, being depressed, You know, I was like, is there anything I can do? Is there anything we can do? And I am not going to jump into the multiple facets of this. For example, gun control and legislation, all of those. It's it's a very complex issue. And I, I can't do anything in that. I mean, I guess I could if I decided I wanted to get into politics. But, you know, I'm 58. Um, It's never been a passion. That's probably not going to happen. So what can I do? What can you do? You know, there are so many topics, things that are going on in the world that have always been going on in the world that may tug at your heart. It could be poverty, homelessness. Um, It could be pet rescue or human trafficking. I mean, there are a lot of things that might tug at you and you can't fix them all. But is there anything that we can do just on a day-to-day basis? And I say, yes, I've been reading and researching a lot of different things since the school shooting. And of course, my my area, I guess, of expertise is mental health. And I want to go ahead and throw this out there first, and I'll put this link in the show notes. I don't want to jump to the false equivalency that mental health leads to mass shootings or mental health leads to violence, because that is not, that is just way too simplistic. And so I'm posting an article. It's from research from the Columbia Center of Prevention and Evaluation. And I'm just going to read this quote to you. It's in the show notes. You can go read the whole article. 
And it says, additionally, coming from something else, as we demonstrated in our paper, and there's a link to that, the contribution of mental illness to mass shootings has decreased over time. The data suggests that while it is critical that we continue to identify those individuals with mental illness and substance abuse disorders at high risk for violence and prevent the perpetration of violence, other risk factors such as history of legal problems, challenges coping with severe and acute life stressors, and the epidemic of the combination of nihilism, emptiness, anger, and desire for notoriety of young men, of young notoriety among young men, seem a more useful focus for prevention and policy than an emphasis on serious mental illness, which leads to public fear and stigmatization. So I hope you heard from that. What we need to focus on absolutely are signs and things like mental illness, substance use disorders, and signs that those people or any people might be at risk of violence. That's what we need to look at. And so saying, oh, people with mental illness are more prone to violence or more prone to mass shootings is absolutely contributing to the stigma around mental health. And that's the last thing that we want. And so again, reading more, I was like, well, again, what can I do? So this is the article that I want to focus on and it's in the show notes and I'm only going to talk about part of it. So please go and read it because it's very, very interesting. But the name that the article title is research shows this is how to prevent school shootings. Now that is absolutely sort of a big blanket, broad statement, but I loved the things that I read in this article. So I'm going to just quote a few things and it's written by two sociologists at the Center for the Study and Prevention of Violence at the University of Colorado, Colorado Boulder. I don't know what is wrong with my mouth today, but I seem to have trouble forming words. And so what I took from it is kind of what I just said to you is what I suspected is there is something that I can do. There is something that we can do to be part of prevention. That's it, to be part of prevention, to be a positive force in this world. And so there are three, and I will talk about the, the last two briefly, but I want to focus on the first one, and it is this, teach students and adults to report warning signs. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further with that in just a minute, but from the article, I'm going to read to you a list of the 10 most common concerning behaviors among school attackers, and this is according to the U.S. Secret Service. Again, this is all in the article. Number one, and 10 most common concerning behaviors. Number one, threats to the target or others and an intent to attack, including on social media. Number two, intense or escalating anger. Number three, interest in weapons. Number four, sadness, depression, or isolation. And, and I'm going to go ahead and throw in there, especially if it's changed. Like you may have a friend who struggles with some sadness or depression, or they're not particularly a social person, but you've noticed a change or someone that you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a friend. But again, this is just one of the signs. Number one, two, three, four, five, changes in behavior or appearance. So that relates to what we just said. Number six, suicide. Okay. Talk about suicide or self-harm. Number seven, interest in weapons or violence. Number eight, complaints of being bullied. Number nine, worries over grades or attendance. 
And number 10, harassing others. So these could be student behavior, adult behavior. And then the last thing that they say about this is attackers typically exhibit five or more of these concerning behaviors. Let me go ahead and read number two and three, and then I want to go back up to just sort of wrap this part up. Number two, two and three are more about community and school awareness. Number two is develop and publicize around the clock anonymous tip lines. I, maybe I'm just not listening the way that you're listening, but I haven't really heard the phrase around the clock anonymous tip lines. And apparently there are many, but there aren't enough and there aren't state by state and they're not publicized. And number three, conduct behavioral threat assessment and management. And what that means is if there is a threat reported, maybe on one of these tip lines, that there needs to be then a plan in place for how this is going to be assessed and managed. Those two things are not what I'm talking about today. Those two things are wonderful. And if you are in that world and you can help in that world, please do. But all of us can help in the first one. And that is, I'm just going to make it more broad. In fact, I'm even going to add to it, learn the warning signs and then teach students and adults to report those warning signs. I've talked about this all over the place. So if you haven't heard me talk about it before, then you're going to hear it now. I recently went through mental health first aid training as a student. And I think that was in February, February or early March. Being someone who has suffered with mental illness and mental health challenges, okay, mental illness is diagnosis. I haven't had a diagnosis in a while, but I still have my challenges. So being someone who's come from that world, I've also seen the awkwardness of people around me who don't know what to ask. They didn't know. Listen, when I was a teacher is when during my years as a teacher, I still suffered, but no one knew because I hit it. And even though there were probably warning signs, it's not something in the 90s, early 90s that we were really taught to recognize and then how to address it. But today we know just, and so they call it mental health first aid because think of it just like first aid. Many of us have been trained in basic first aid, how to treat a wound, how to stop bleeding, disinfectant, basic CPR. We've been trained in that. How amazing is it for people to have training in that to save lives? Same thing applies to mental health. It's not a program where you learn to diagnose. It's not a program where you treat or you give advice. It's a program where we are taught, how do I recognize signs and symptoms? Part of, part of the training is about recognizing, you know, what to do about signs of violence. And by what to do, I don't mean treating it. I mean, resources for you. So basically, a mental health first aider is a bridge between someone who's experiencing a challenge and appropriate resources, whatever those are. And I loved it so much that just a few weeks later, I became certified to be a mental health first aid instructor. So I'm not trying to just push that or promote this or say, hey, come take my class, although I sure hope you will down the road. What I'm saying is this is something fairly simple. My class was like $120. I think the $170 at this point is, is the, the recommended course um, cost, and that includes materials and, and all that. But I, I'm saying that just to say that it's not expensive. It's basically an eight-hour class, give or take a few hours. For us, 
as your average person, no, no degree in psychology, sociology, counseling, but we can be trained in order to just notice and think that that doesn't seem right. But then also to give us resources. I now have 988 plugged into my phone. I have the other suicide hotlines numbers plugged into my phone. I have domestic violence numbers plugged into my phone because this class taught me to do that. So that's what I'm taking away from this is I don't want to get involved. I just don't in the political aspect of this. Um, I'm not going to be involved in policy. I don't teach school anymore. So I don't really have that connection to do that. But I can do this. I can encourage people to understand. I can encourage people to understand that we cannot equate mental health with violence and school shootings. But we can see that we should be able to recognize if there are warnings, <coughs> sorry, that may include mental health challenges and risks being at high risk for violence. We can be taught how to recognize that and then what to do. That's what I wanted to get across to you today. I hope that I have in some way. I will miss you over the next couple of months. I will still be posting in on Facebook. If you don't follow me on my public Facebook page, please do that because I do have some exciting things coming up related to the book and the class and Mental Health Awareness Month, all of that. And then if you're a woman and you're not part of our private group, Facebook group, then do that too. That's that's in the show notes. I would love to hear your comments. What do you think you can do? And, and let me add this too. You know, the word bullying was in there and that's a whole nother topic. But if you're a parent, let's do a good job, you know, my, of, of teaching our children not to bully, to respect each other, to have some sort of love for each other, to have compassion for someone else who might be suffering. My son was bullied as a child. I was bullied as a child. And I will tell you, there were days when I would have rather died than to get on that school bus and be called the names that I was called. Be I remember one day being hit with snowballs when we got off the bus, the whole bus, uh, people getting off at my stop, just pelting me as I was walking along. It is the loneliest, saddest feeling that a person can have. So, you know, the research I'm sure shows, I don't have the research in front of me about that connection, but we do know that sometimes school shooters will have talked about being bullied and being left out. It's not an excuse. I'm just saying if there's anything that we can do that might help, that might help with that or just increasing mental health, mental well-being in this world, why wouldn't we? So I'm going to leave you with that. I will see you soon. I hope that you are well and then you take care of your physical and emotional and mental health. And until I see you again soon, consider yourself hugged.